Hello, everyone. This is Culture, Comms, and Cocktails, Internal Comms Serve Straight Up. I'm your host, Chuck Ghost, Senior Strategic Advisor at Social Chorus. And on this episode of Culture, Comms, and Cocktails, we have Dr. Lino Caramancheri, Chief Diversity Officer at Mesh Diversity. Dr. Lino, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chuck. Happy to be here. So grab a seat here at the lounge. It looks like you're already uh, sitting there in the lounge, and let's go ahead and get started. Uh, I want to do a big, quick catch-up here between the two of us, uh, Lino. We met last year at PRSA Connect uh, in Phoenix, and it was great having you there to keynote. And I just want to let you know, ever since that day, you've been in my head almost every day. And that can be a very fun place to be. That can sometimes be a very scary place to be. But it, your talk, uh, which we might end up kind of referring to throughout the podcast, uh, had such a big impact on how I view the diversity inclusion conversation. Oh, lovely. Lovely. Anything in particular that I said that was of value? Well, I think it was more seeing both your presence on stage and how you stayed very calm, but were able to get such a physical response from some of the <laughs> attendees with your with your tactics and strategy. But I think also... I like the approach where you said, like, if you are white, if you are male, if you're over six feet tall, this is not about you. Like, sit down. And I was like, okay, I'm white, male, over six feet tall. This is not my conversation to have. But you gave advice on how people like me or in my circumstance can still be helpful and lead that conversation and make way for others in this world. Yeah, I think, I appreciate that, Chuck. I think, unfortunately, uh, so much of the work in this field comes from places of pain or anger or frustration, and it unfortunately gets directed at people who are just human beings, right? Mm -hmm. So rather than moving together forward, we end up kind of pointing fingers and uh, a lot of the, the blame stuff starts to happen. It's, it's not particularly conducive to much. So I, I, I appreciate that that was a useful conversation. It, it was, and I know it's something that uh, we were hoping to continue to keep having, but uh, like a lot of other conferences and events, PRSA Connect is on hold. Uh, so I'm, not, I'm glad we're able to catch up here today. The reason I wanted to talk to you today is admitting one of my own, I guess, biases or behaviors that I wasn't most proud of. And when the pandemic kind of started and people started working from home, I was admittedly a little bit snarky about everybody talking about working from home or finding tips to work from home and advice from work from home. And I've worked from home for 10 years and it bothered me that all these things was happening, happening and I couldn't figure out why it was bothering me so much. And then I realized it's not, we're not all working from home. That's not what we're doing here. And I feel like there's some gaps that haven't been talked about in how people are trying to adjust in this new world. So how should companies be leveling their expectations when employees are expected to work but not work from their normal work locations or environments? Um, you know, I think one of the, the largest learning curves that not just organizations but leaders in particular are gonna have we were, we, were we were designed for this, 
Like I'm, I'm missing a whole chunk of your body language. I can't see you shoulder down. Um, so we're, we're missing a, a kinesthetic. We're missing a feel. Like this is not what we were designed for. We were designed to have our visual, our, our auditory, our kinesthetic, our touch, our feel, our sense of the space. It all gives us context for our communications. Um, you know, I, I hate the term just because it's been used so much, but water cooler conversations, they build the culture in our organizations. Just seeing other human beings sitting across from us or, 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 or down, down the way, it, it builds our ability to, to feel a sense of being a community, a, a sense of belonging. All that's been ripped away from us. That's not an easy thing to just have taken away in the snap of a finger and just go back to normal just because you're in a different space with, with a video conference. So the first piece that I think there's a massive adaptation is adapting to this. Communication here is a very, very different thing than communication face front. Like, guaranteed the entire world who's now doing video conferencing has been having a conversation with someone and all of a sudden they've started to look over in the corner or had a smile or something that didn't seem like it fit with the conversation. And our human tendency, they're distracted, they're paying attention to something else, they're watching a video <laughs> on the corner of the screen. So we will tell ourselves stories. And unfortunately, because we like keeping ourselves safe, those stories often end up on the negative side of things to prep us for a worst case scenario. And I think another topic that we haven't focused on enough in this new trying to be productive and work during pandemic, even recognizing that even working from home is a privilege for some that everybody has that opportunity is the challenge that managers now have with employees being remote and perhaps new employees being remote and them being remote from the workplace for the first time. So when you think about from a pre pandemic state to a current day to a post pandemic, there are, there've always been good and great managers and there've always been bad managers. So what I'm curious is who are the managers who will excel in our current situation and what skills do they have that will allow them to excel? Um, it's a, it's a, it's a four words, it's four words. It's the intent impact gap. Uh, managers who understand the intent impact gap will be able to lead their folks far better than those who don't. And I'll just super quickly. If, if I'm having this conversation with you and I see your eyes roll, now my immediate reaction may be, well, that was rude. Why, why is he doing that? I am a pretty good eye roller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so am I. It depends on who's talking, often family. Um, but if I see the eye roll, my head might tend to spin. The problem is the eye roll is completely ambiguous. It could be everything from, I cannot believe I set up to do a podcast with this guy, all the way over to, this is really interesting. I wish I, I learned this a year ago. The, the problem is from my personal experience of the world, I'm going to interpret that eye roll. And so you may have intended one thing, but it's going to impact me sideways. Managers need to understand that they can have their expectations, they can have their directives, but it may not always hit their people in the way they intend it to hit. And so guiding people in this kind of 
distance, guiding people through this kind of stress, we have to first be able to check ourselves. What's going on here? What is my intention? How do I give clear directive in a way that other people can understand? And if there has been a communication breakdown, unfortunately, our human tendency to blame other people. So we have to be able to take a step back and say, okay, if there was a breakdown, how was I involved in it? How do, how do I avoid that piece later? How do I increase the clarity of my communication so that people hear what I mean and not what I say? That's going to be a massive difference for, for good communicating uh, leaders. And when it comes to whether it's the leaders themselves, the managers, the organization, how should companies be gathering feedback from employees during this current situation? Or should they be? Is there any value to getting feedback now and, and what counts as quality feedback? So let's take a step back before the pandemic. Um, is there value in getting feedback from your people from an internal comms perspective? You really <laughs> hope so, right? Um, is there value in understanding how people feel? Absolutely. Uh, how, how do I have a communication with you unless I know you're hearing what I actually mean? Like if you create a, a wonderful message, but it lands differently in this region than that region lands differently in this office than that office, it, it's not a particularly useful communication message, let alone stream. So how do I craft my messaging so it hits people in the way that'll get them to move in a way that makes sense? Uh, that requires understanding how it's being received. That requires understanding what the culture is in those spaces. So getting that feedback is massive. The challenge is even before you know, this crisis, the tools haven't been the greatest. And you know, everybody's done these one to five, one to seven, surveys, everyone's done these strongly agree, strongly disagree surveys. They're all based on something called the Likert scale or Likert scale, depending on your pronunciation. And the, the purpose of the scale is really simple. If I say, hey, Chuck, how do you feel today? And you say, good, I have no clue what that means. So the, the Likert scale is designed to allow us to put metrics on things that are unknowable. So if I say, okay, hey, on a scale from zero to seven, seven being awesome, zero being terrible, how do you feel today? And you say, good, I, I'm a seven. Okay, that's awesome. Then if I ask you again tomorrow and you say, I'm good, I'm a six, I know that your good is a little bit less than yesterday. So it's, it's useful. But the challenge is the scale was designed for social research. So if I say, um, you know, the president of the United States is going to be reelected in November, strongly agree, strongly disagree. You can answer however you want. You're not going to lose your job. People won't judge you. You know it's anonymous, right? So you can answer honestly. But the moment those kinds of survey structures are used internally in organizations, people lie. And people lie for a multitude of reasons. We, we lie to save face. We lie to curry favor. We lie to avoid stress. We lie for multitudes of reasons. And sometimes we lie without even realizing we're lying because it just feels more comfortable with that answer. Uh, case in point, any zero to five survey you've ever put out in your organization, I guarantee you had next to no zero ones and twos. Those, those surveys are designed to give you threes, five, threes, fours, and fives. Otherwise, people wouldn't even be, wouldn't stay. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's, it's part of the reason we use a quad model. So it's, it, it doesn't allow you to game the system. So if you want real data, you have to use a real data gathering tool. And, and that's the big key. And there's huge value in it. 
Yeah, I think back to something I saw on Twitter, and we have to take for face value if things are true or not. I want to believe this is true, that it was a conversation between a manager and employee, and the manager asked the employee how they're doing, and the employee responded, okay. And the manager said, nope, none of us are just okay. We're all struggling now, and encourage that conversation to go deeper. And so I think it's, it's a natural conversation. You said people lie. They're not even thinking they're lying. They just don't want to have that conversation. And I think sometimes that's where we struggle with feedback and employees is we're asking them things around a topic that they don't want to have a conversation or give feedback on. So they just give an answer to move along. Yeah, absolutely. It's for everyone who's, I keep harp, I harp on this all the time because it frustrates me this notion of courageous conversations. Everybody's heard of it, about these. Back in the day when I used to counsel, if, if a woman came to me and said, you know, my, my husband beats me, does anyone think the appropriate suggestion is go back and talk to your husband, have a courageous conversation? It, it's, it's asinine on the face of it, let alone dangerous. But the moment there are power dynamics, courageous conversations are great for the people in positions of power. <laughs> They're not particularly conducive for people who are not. And so ensuring that your, your survey structure, that your survey system, that your tool allows you to get around that power dynamic. So you tr if, if you're a leader who truly wants to understand what your people are going through so that you can support them, so that you can make sure you're doing the job in the best way that you can so you get the most performance out of them, then you, you have to use real survey tools and survey tools that'll get around that power dynamic. Yeah, I think that power dynamic comes into play more than leaders and managers recognize or realize or want to recognize and realize that even employees, I don't think, recognize or realize that sometimes when they're giving that feedback. Absolutely. It's a difficult thing to wear a hat that you don't realize you're wearing or don't have to look at all the time. The moment you become a leader in an organization, you're wearing a hat. And you can be the nicest person on the planet, but you have frailties. We all do. Mm -hmm. And there's always potential for those frailties to come through in mismanagement, micromanagement, um, you know, holding grudges, all of those little things, unfortunately, that make us what we are as humans. Of course, people don't want to answer honestly a lot of the time, especially when it would be critique especially when the, the response is going to say, you're not doing your job as well as you could or as well as I need you to be. Who wants to have that conversation with their leader? So yeah, get, getting, getting that appropriate feedback is massive. And from an internal comms perspective, getting the feedback so that you're getting real data so you can actually craft your messaging so you can do your job to the best of your ability. It's, it's massive, absolutely massive. Yeah, my, my go-to piece of advice for this is from a, a friend, Julia Markish, and I always give her credit for this. And what it comes to is, is only ask what you can act upon. And I think so often we ask employees things that there's no, their, their feedback isn't going to change anything. Yeah. So if we focus on, on that and what you shared, I think that's, that's really valuable to everyone. Yeah, it's, it's part of the reason that so, so many employees struggle with uh, employee feedback mechanisms, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's a belief that nothing gets done. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we talked about managers in this sense that there are some very strong ones and, and not so strong. The same comes into play with communicators. Uh, they're not all created equal. Some are maybe more procedure-based, process-based. Some might be more creative. 
but I, I obviously based on my network, I see a lot of communicators talking about communicating during the pandemic. What I'm curious and a little bit concerned about is what should they be trying to focus on when they have the organization in mind when it comes to communication during this time? And also by doing that, are they neglecting some of their own needs as people and employees of a company by trying to be the face or the voice uh, in this hard time? Um, let's go with the first question and then you'll remind me of the second because I'm going okay. to I'm going to drone on most likely and then I will forget what the second piece was in terms of what they should be uh, communicating at this particular point in time um, it, it, it would not be uncommon to find somebody who's normally the most composed individual on the planet uh, acting like chicken little like the sky is falling um, because the, the sky is almost literally falling. <laughs> it, you, you couldn't imagine worse stuff happening around you. And then on top of everything else, so for, forget about the health risks to yourself, to people you love. Forget about the financial risks born of the fact that you might not have a job next Monday. We also have this other entirely different stressor about having to work from home. Now, some folks like me are incredibly privileged. I'm sitting here in a basement. Um, my daughter, I can hear her. I can't tell if you can hear her, but she's practicing her piano upstairs. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's driving me because my concern is you can hear it here. Um, I have a nine-year-old son who's in school upstairs with my wife, who's not a teacher, but forced to be teaching him right now while I'm on call. I've got nine different things running through my head and half of them are irritating me. <laughs> so <laughs> this, is, this is not my normal work circumstance. So in terms of what we should be communicating, you can't avoid the realities. Try, trying to put a nicey-nicey face on it, it, it will, it'll be read through so quickly by people. Truth with guidance this is where we are. This is where we want to be going. And this is where we want to go with you. So this is how we need everybody working together. Just, just putting out the risks out front reality, but just doing it in a way that no, you're, you're not alone. We, we are here together because at, at, on a basic level, if human beings don't feel safe, we can't function appropriately. We can't function at our best. The way our brain is designed, it just doesn't allow for that. We just sit there and, and cycle in worst case scenarios. Any parent, who's ever had a sleepless night worrying about their child when that thing they were worrying about was never really going to happen. That's it's in our design. It's called the amygdala hijack. We've, we've chatted about that before at the conference. We are designed to look for threat. And unfortunately, given the circumstances right now, the threats, we don't have to look hard. They're, they're everywhere. Um, so your ability to actually communicate the organizational message and the needs of the organization in a way that has people, not feeling alone, but feeling like there's a purpose and they're a part of that purpose and that there's, there are people who have their back and actually care about how they feel. That's why that feedback mechanism is, is vital. Uh, we actually turned part of our, our microsurvey process, the one that I was telling you about, to actually focus on COVID-specific pieces, particularly for frontline, but for people in general, because getting that feedback is massive and your ability to actually not just communicate that one stream, but also get it back so you can have a, a good flow through. 
Yep. And the other, the other part of the question points to what should they be doing for themselves in this time where so often I think they've, they are now shouldering the burden of sometimes being the voice of the employee to leadership during a very difficult time, but also being the voice of leadership or using their channels to get those messages out. How should they be checking in on themselves in this time? I'm, I'm going to switch the phrase from checking in to um, managing uh, themselves. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a good example. Um, we, we don't have very many options, but to live in the world that we got. And how you drive forward is less about a predisposition and far more about attitude. Um, would you blame somebody if they said they were in their house with their three-year-old daughter? Let's say I'm in an apartment with my three-year-old daughter. I have to work from home, change diapers, all that stuff. It is driving me freaking batty. Would you blame her for that? Probably not. So the question is, can we move ourselves from a place of, I can't believe this is my life right now, to, I can't believe this is my life right now. Um, say it differently. Same exact statement, two different statements from the same exact person. I have to have chemotherapy. Would anyone blame that person for being morose or depressed about that? Nope. But that same exact person could say, I get to have chemotherapy. There, there are millions of people in the world who get cancer and will never even have the chance to have it. So it very much is about attitude. Um, we, we talked about this at a different point in time. I had an issue with my eyes, so I have to have needles every month or so. <laughs> have a look at that. <laughs> so at the, at the beginning of this, uh, I was in that, I can't, I can't believe I have to get needles in my eye. But these days, I, I get to have needles in my eye. You know, I, I get to see my kids almost the way they look because the technology is there and health uh, services are what they are. I get to have needles in my eye. So in terms of managing yourself and getting the most out of yourself in this particular situation, find, find the nugget of fortune in what this has brought. Um, not necessarily by looking what other people are dealing with and saying, I got it better, but try, try and find that piece that this has given you. Is there, are there, any get-tos in this scenario at all, that's something to cling to and actually drive, drive a really positive uh, momentum and attitude. I think that's, that's part of what, when I said at the beginning of all this, I felt very snarky about all the work from home content. It was that mind shift for me in realizing that it's a very privileged thing to be able to work from home and still be productive and not have to worry about going out and exposing myself. I can stay home. I can work. I thankfully still have a job. All of those things are, are those positives to focus on. So it is, it is that the mind shift. I think it's probably easier to do in my case than someone who has that three-year-old who's changing diapers and we all have different, different challenges. Um, but this is such a unique time for all of us in, in such unique ways for each person based on the challenges that are presented to us. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 
Now, you also recently led a webinar called The Indispensable Communicator. Mm-hmm. And on a previous episode of this podcast, I had a lady from Edelman, Tamara Rodman on, she's a senior uh, VP there. And they put out a study around COVID-19 and trust. Edelman always puts out their trust barometer every year. What was interesting about this story, this study in particular was it focused on COVID-19 communication. Mm-hmm. And it came out that employees trusted employer communication above all other information out there, which is pretty remarkable considering they were going to the company. They wanted that information from the company. So that to me says, okay, communications, I've always felt they were indispensable. Now we know they're indispensable. So with this webinar you did, I want to tease it a little bit, discuss what you think makes that indispensable communicator and let people know where they can go to watch that webinar and all the other webinars you guys have done. Um, okay. Quick little tidbit. When you are communicating with an individual, again, massively more difficult to communicate with a large audience, right? Because the key is I have to get everybody to understand what's going on inside my head. So unfortunately, too many of us, we speak to be heard, not to be understood. And in that same way, we listen to sometimes rebut as opposed to actually listen and understand, right? So that, that beautiful two-way stream, when you're speaking to groups, it becomes uh, like a number of different streams all at the same time. So getting out of your own head, what makes sense in your head, and trying to get into that other person's head is massive. Again, in an organizational sense, it's why that feedback mechanism and a good feedback mechanism is valuable. There's something called the halt states. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Uh, Most of the folks listening today know for themselves when they're hungry, they're a little bit edgier. Uh, Anger is a secondary emotion happens when you feel hurt or threatened. Uh, Lonely, um, when you feel like there's no one who has your back or tired, Anyone who's ever had a difficult conversation about finances with their partner in bed before they go to sleep knows they shouldn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) So these four states, they're called halt states, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. They are physiologically primitive states. There wasn't a grocery store on every corner 200,000 years ago. So when we start to feel hungry because we evolved in food scarcity, we start to stress out. It's not rational, it's emotional. Anger, hurt or threatened, it's hurt or threatened by a predator or someone who's trying to do me harm. Lonely means I don't have the security of my group to protect me from the predator or the people who want to do me harm. And tired, I don't have the strength to run or fight. These physiologically primitive states, they're vital to how we communicate. So as a leader, (laughs) do I want to have dicey conversations with my folks before lunch? Do I want to have dicey conversations with people or send out communications messages right before the end of the day after they've worked all day and are exhausted? Probably not. So understanding those physiological states are massive, but then there's the, what we do and say these three keys. I I talked about it quite extensively in the webinar, put down, let down, shut down. The the part of our brain that triggers um, is, is 150 million years old in design. It doesn't know anything about uh, 
road rage. It doesn't understand when people cut, cut, cut you off on, on the street. It doesn't understand credit cards or debt. It doesn't understand micromanaging bosses. All it understands is threat. And the way easiest to figure that out is what I'm experiencing, does it have me feeling put down? Does it have me feeling let down? Does it have me feeling shut down, out of control? No power. You can understand where the courageous conversations are gonna sit. If you're the boss on a new remote team who just doesn't get the stress that their team is under. If you, it's worse if you're a, a leader that people actually like. The letdown could be massive. And you know, if that goes down the route of like uncivil behavior from your leaders, it's, it's put down. Any one of those things, you forget about the physiological halt states, any one of those things will trip down, trip out your amygdala hijack and put you in your worst case scenario. You do that with the halt states, it's not generally gonna be a good scenario, right? So communicating, whether at an individual or at a group level, it's about ensuring that people have what they need to be able to engage the message that you're providing. Uh, so you have to, the message, you have to do it in a way people can hear, which means don't hijack them. You have to be able to provide it in a way that they can understand, not, not language that makes sense to investors or board members, <laughs> language that makes sense to them. Say it in a way they can integrate into their worldview, in a way that makes sense for them, why they should want to do it. What's their impetus? And that's the fourth piece. Say it in a way that makes them want to work with the information. If you, if you can't do all four of those, there's almost no point to starting the communication stream in the first place. And that's what we really wrapped in in, in, in that webinar. And if you, if you want to check it out, go to uh, meshdiversity.com and uh, you can get into the system, access all the webinars. Uh, there's a free portal so you can actually do, do, the, uh, do the platform uh, metrics for yourself as well. And it's all free. It'll be free forever. The... I think that I love the the halt because that's an easy thing for for people to remember. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I think the challenge with that now is that it's somebody could be experiencing a multitude of those, if not all of those, at this point in time, and not just them. It could be their entire household. It could be their neighborhood. It could be their community. It could be their work team, and it's just that weight. I think people are feeling that they're looking for those little glimmers of hope, silver linings to things. Yeah. yeah. It, there's not like if you and I were on the same team and this is where, you know, the homelessness issue, the privilege thing really starts to come in. I, I can't help you if you're hungry. I can't, I can be on a remote call and I can't help you with that one. But anger is a secondary emotion, feeling hurt or threatened. In just our engagement, I can help you to feel less alone. I can help you to feel that, that there is someone else there with you. And that's a massive piece we can do for our remote teams. Uh, the, the tired piece, we talked about this in the very first webinar. Um, there's a concept called flow. If you're a leader, you need to understand that uh, flow is not something you're born with. It's about when you are at your optimum. It, when the world slows down and you're just focused and you're getting the best out of yourself, it's, it's very much contextual. We, we can help to generate environments 
where people can just be at their best and in with everything that's swirling it's not easy to do but we can try to create environments where people aren't becoming overly taxed so they're not feeling tired good leaders especially remote we got to be tuning in are we creating conditions for flow are we creating conditions where people are challenged not too challenged are we creating conditions where people can get that good stress that doesn't leach over into you know anxiety or, or frazzle right? we, we can do all of those things together i think the biggest piece is good leaders who want to be better leaders understanding those pieces that they can do better mm -hmm. well like i said since last may dr Lino, you've been in my head in so many ways news articles conversations i've even emailed you a few times with scenarios that i've been in and how to better handle things thank you so much for your time, your energy, your attention, uh, coming on the podcast. And we wrap this up with always, what's your favorite cocktail? But now we're in this amazing setting here. You know, when we started recording, I didn't even know you had, you built an Irish pub in your basement. So that's why it looks the way it does in there. there it's all Unbelievable. Strangely enough, even though it's an Irish pub. <laughs> Uh, it's unbelievable. So I have very high expectations to find out, Dr. Lino, what is your favorite cocktail? Um, I have really started loving old fashions recently, uh, but even more specifically smoked old fashions. They're, they're a beautiful, beautiful drink. A little tricky to make, but they're beautiful. You want me to tell you how to make it? Well, I, I saw, so I want to, please go follow Dr. Lino on Twitter. One, you see a lot of great advice and stuff they're sharing, but you also see these amazing cocktail pictures, which uh, we saw and saw also a big fan of old fashions, saw that you have one of those kitchen torches to like you work on the orange. So I'm waiting for Amazon to deliver me a kitchen torch now because I've got time to do this. So yes, I want to hear from you how you make this great old fashioned. All right, really, really simple. So uh, you need some Angostura bitters and a little simple syrup. If you don't have simple syrup, you just take some sugar, equal parts sugar, equal parts water, uh, and, and melt them together in, in a pot, and then just put set it to the side to cool, right? So uh, you, you take a little bit of orange peel, put it to the bottom, a uh, couple dashes of Angostura bitters, a couple dashes worth of simple syrup, and then you take your muddler and you, and you squeeze that orange peel down, get, it, get all that nice oil out into there. And then you put your ice cube in, uh, your alcohol choice, uh, bourbon for this, or rye probably, uh, I choose bourbon, a couple shots of bourbon, stir it in. That's your normal, that's your normal old fashioned, right? Now, what you do with the smoked old fashioned is you take something that you want to smoke. So uh, I like cinnamon, I like cherry wood. You, you put it on a little uh, surface that can burn. You take your torch, you burn it, get a nice smoke, turn your cup over or your, uh, your glass over and let the smoke kind of ensconce the glass. It's a nice for presentation too, it's very cool. <laughs> and then you lift it up once it's nicely smoked and then you do all of those fixings I just described and you have a beautiful smoked old fashioned that you will love forever and a day. Yeah, well now, now is the time for us to all find those little things that we, we each enjoy to, to get us through this pandemic, Zed, find those silver linings, find those moments that we can cherish. Again, thank you, Dr. Lino, for being on the podcast. Uh, it's been a great pleasure. Thanks, Chuck. Cheers. 
If you enjoyed what you heard from this episode and want to check out others, find Culture Comes and Cocktails on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And when you do, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. This has been Culture Comms and Cocktails, internal comms served straight up. Thanks for listening.